Our study this evening is Esther chapter 5. Esther chapter 5. In the recent chapter, Mordecai and Esther had an exchange about Esther going in to see the king. Now we'll read about her meeting the king and what happens as a result of that. Esther chapter 5, verse 1. Now it came about on the third day that Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the king's palace in front of the king's rooms. And the king was sitting on his royal throne in the throne room opposite the entrance to the palace. And it happened when the king saw Esther, the queen, standing in the court, she obtained favor in his sight, and the king extended to Esther the golden scepter which was in his hand. So Esther came near and touched the top of the scepter. Then the king said to her, What is troubling you, Queen Esther, and what is your request? Even to half of the kingdom it will be given to you. And Esther said, If it pleases the king, may the king and Haman come this day to the banquet that I have prepared for him. Then the king said, Bring Haman quickly that we may do as Esther desires. So the king and Haman came to the banquet which Esther had prepared. And as they drank their wine at the banquet, the king said to Esther, What is your petition? For it shall be granted to you. And what is your request? Even to half of the kingdom it shall be done. So Esther answered and said, My petition and my request is, If I have found favor in the sight of the king, and if it pleases the king, to grant my petition and do what I request, May the king and Haman come to the banquet which I shall prepare for them, and tomorrow I will do as the king says. Then Haman went out that day, glad and pleased of heart. But when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate, and that he did not stand up or tremble before him, Haman was filled with anger against Mordecai. Haman controlled himself, however, went to his house, and sent for his friends and his wife Zeresh. Then Haman recounted to them the glory of his riches and the number of his sons and every instance where the king had magnified him and how he had promoted him above the princes and servants of the king. Haman also said, Even as to the queen, let no one but me come with the king to the banquet which she had prepared, and tomorrow also I am invited by her with the king. Yet all of this does not satisfy me every time I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. Then Zeresh, his wife, and all his friends said to him, Have a gallows fifty cubits high made, and in the morning ask the king to have Mordecai hanged on it. Then go joyfully with the king to the banquet. And the advice pleased Haman, so he had the gallows made. In verse 1, on the third day, Esther approached the king on the third day as she and Mordecai had agreed that they would fast for three days. And that meant, according to the way that the Bible speaks of three days, sometimes it means that the action occurs on the third day. And this is what happened here. On the third day, Esther put on her royal robes. She was wearing sackcloth. She was uh, with ashes, she was mourning and she was praying as Mordecai and Esther agreed to do. 
But now that she is going to present herself to the king, she knows that she can't come to the king in sackcloth. She knows that. We were told that in the previous chapter, that that was prohibited. They could only come in proper clothing. So she puts on her royal robes. She puts them on and stood in the inner court of the king's palace in front of the king's rooms. She goes there and she stands there. Now, the officials of the king, they would not have inhibited her or prevented her because she was his queen. And it's likely that certain officials, if they came to the king unsummoned, that the officials knew that certain ones could go and others could not at all, and they would have stopped them and prohibited them from going. Likely that Esther, she was one that had permission to go if she wanted, and if she wanted to do so at the risk of her life. And so she goes there and she stands there. She sees that the king was sitting on his royal throne in the throne room, opposite the entrance to the palace. And this is in the view, in the sight of the king, because it says in verse 2, And it happened when the king saw Esther, the queen, standing in the court. She obtained favor in his sight. He could have reacted either in anger and retaliation, or, as he did here, in favor. She obtained favor in his sight. This was not the first time that Esther found favor in the sight of the king. In chapter 2, chapter 2, verse 9, it says, Now the young lady pleased him and found favor with him, so he quickly provided her with her cosmetics and food, gave her, her seven choice maids from the king's palace, and transferred her and her maids to the best place in the harem. Now that was the supervisor, Haggai, who had custody over the, the virgins. He was the one who granted her favor, but also it's uh, similarly found in chapter 2 and verse uh, chapter 2 and verse 16. So Esther was taken to King Ahasuerus to his royal palace in the tenth month, which is in the month Tebeth, in the seventh year of his reign. And the king loved Esther more than all the women, and she found favor and kindness with him more than all the virgins, so that he set the royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. That happened when she became queen, and now at this perilous, critical time, when the door could swing one way or the other. In this case, it swung in her favor. She obtained favor in his sight. Now, this does not happen haphazardly. This does not happen by accident that the king would look with favor upon her. It did not happen that way. Proverbs 21.1 says, The king's heart is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord. He, the Lord, turns it wherever he wishes. God turns the heart of kings however he wishes. Proverbs 20.24, Man's steps are ordained by the Lord. How then? Can a man understand his way? God ordains man's steps. He is the one who ultimately directs what happens in human affairs. Proverbs 16, 9. The mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. 
Yes, the mind of man plans. My, the, the man has a will. He does act. He does exert his desires. But ultimately, it's happening because God is directing it. As Proverbs 69 says, the Lord directs his steps. The Lord directs his steps. And verse 10, a divine decision is in the lips of the king. His mouth should not err in judgment. A divine decision is in the lips of the king. And so in this way, that's what happened here. She obtained favor in the sight of King Ahasuerus because God caused that to happen. God made it happen. And what else did God do? The king extended to Esther the golden scepter which was in his hand. The king extended to Esther the golden scepter which was in his hand. He, when he extends it, if she reach, uh, he extends it and she reaches out, as it says, she came near and touched the top of the scepter, that meant that there was not going to be any consequence, no punishment for coming to the king unsummoned without a request from the king. This happens. So, this happened by God. And even this transaction, this, the golden scepter which was in his hand, and then Esther is able to go approach it and touch the top of it, showing that he favored her, that he accepted her, and that whatever her desire was, she could announce it. This happened by the will of God. Verse 3, Then the king said to her, What is troubling you, Queen Esther, and what is your request? Even to half the kingdom it will be given to you. It's obvious that when she came unsummoned, and perhaps even he saw her face, he saw her disposition, that he knew that something was troubling her. So he asked, What is your request? Even to half the kingdom it will be given to you. When he says, Even to half the kingdom it will be given to you, most of us may be more familiar with Mark 6.23 when that was a re request or an offer that Herod made. Herod made uh, just before he beheaded John the Baptist. He made that request of Herodias and uh, the daughter of Herodias. Ask whatever you want and I'll give you half of the kingdom. Now, this was not an empty offer because kings were prone to giving their queens and others cities, towns, regions, whatever they wanted according to their needs and requests. They were willing to do so. They did so throughout their realm. And he's saying here, make it, I, I believe here it is hyperbolic when he says even to half of the kingdom it will be given to you. Ask whatever great amount you want and I'll give it to you. Not that literally he would give her possession of half of the kingdom, but she could ask for an enormous request and he would be happy to supply it. That's what he means. Verse 4, And Esther said, If it pleases the king, may the king and Haman come this day to the banquet that I have prepared for him. She invites both the king and Haman we know that her purpose from chapter 7, her purpose was so that she might declare the intentions, the malicious intentions of Haman right there in front of the king. That's what she wanted to do. This is why she calls on both of them to come. And Haman also, it would have been natural for somebody to ask Haman to come since he was over the seven princes 
of the Persian Empire. He was the number two man in the whole kingdom. Haman was. So there would be no need for the king or Haman to suspect that there was anything wrong. They're thinking that there's a wonderful request and she's supplying us with wine. We're going to have a good time. So they're, they're not suspecting any kind of evil or any kind of wrongdoing. Now, why would she send them or request them to come to a banquet? The banquet, which we know later, is a banquet of wine. She wants to present her request in a suitable, pleasing, delightful atmosphere. She wants to do it when she knows that Haman, or the king, Ahasuerus, and Haman would be in good spirits. She especially wants the king in good spirits before she requests. Verse 5, the response of the king. Then the king said, Bring Haman quickly, that we may do as Esther desires. Bring him quickly. Quickly because he wants to please Esther. God has so worked in the king's heart that whatever Esther wants, he wants to supply that need very quickly. He wants to make her happy. So he insists that Haman come quickly. Don't wait around. Bring him quickly. So the king and Haman came to the banquet which Esther had prepared. Verse 6. And as they drank their wine at the banquet, the king said to Esther, What is your petition? For it shall be granted to you. And what is your request? Even to half of the kingdom it shall be done. It says in verse 6, As they drank their wine at the banquet. This may be an indication of the time in which she was asked. It so happens that the king chose at that time to ask. Perhaps because they are hungry and at the first part of the banquet, he just wants to eat. And then when the, the, the food is in him, as people also do elsewhere, they first eat, even if it's a business meeting, they'll first eat and then they'll talk business after the food has been consumed. They'll do that. And this is likely what happened here. We know from history that the Persians had a, a, a custom of eating their, their main food with water, and then they would have a second course where they would have fruits with wine. So it's likely that after they ate the main meal and when they were drinking the wine and eating their fruits, such as a, a fruit being a, a kind of a dessert, when they're eating the fruits and the wine, this is when he asks her. He knows this is business and there's a right time to ask. And so he asks at the right time. What is your petition? For it shall be granted to you. And what is your request? Even to half of the kingdom, it shall be done. He repeats what he said earlier. This shows that the king is serious. He is serious. He wants to please Esther. Again, we have to note, this has to be by the will of God. It has to be done, he has to be doing this by the sovereign will of God. There is no other way to explain it. Because we know from history, and even from Esther chapter 1, that this king can be erratic. He can be easily angered, and he can order for people's execution on a whim. He can do that. We know that, partly that, from chapter 1, and partly this we know from history. 
outside of the Bible, that this king could act that way. However, he hasn't. And he will not regarding Esther throughout this book. We do know from in chapter 7 that he will the moment he hears something contrary about Haman. It doesn't matter that Haman is number two. He orders for his execution. Verse 7. So Esther answered and said, My petition and my request is, If I have found favor in the sight of the king, and if it pleases the king to grant my petition and to do what I request, may the king and Haman come to the banquet which I shall prepare for them, and tomorrow I will do as the king says. Esther delays it. Esther delays it, putting them in suspense. She wants to ensure that he maintains a happy, favorable mood towards Esther. So another 24 hours transpires. She requests that that transpire. You've shown me grace and favor thus far. She knows that he is with her in this, but he wants, she wants to ensure that he maintains his delightful and positive attitude towards her, and then she's going to make her request. That second banquet takes place in chapter 6. In the meantime, between this banquet and the one the following day, the following occurs. Verse 9. Then Haman went out that day glad and pleased of heart. He went out glad and pleased of heart. But when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate, and that he did not stand up or tremble before him, Haman was filled with anger against Mordecai. The same scenario occurs. Mordecai's there. Mordecai doesn't budge. He doesn't budge, as we saw earlier, because he did not want to bow down to him as though he were a deity. He doesn't want to behave in that way towards him. He doesn't budge at all. And again, Haman is filled with anger. His gladness turned to anger just like that, very quickly, very erratically. It changed. It changed, but verse 10, Haman controlled himself, however, went to his house and sent for his friends and his wife, Zeresh. He controlled himself because he, he's thinking, I need to consult my friends and my wife. I want to do something to Mordecai sooner than later. I don't want to wait until the end of the year when the feast of, or when the, the lot was cast and that they were going to massacre all the Jews in the 12th month. He didn't want to wait that long. He wanted to do something to Mordecai now, but he wanted to make sure that it was successful. So he consults his friends and his wife. It's not a matter of him practicing self-control as though he had some virtue in him. This control, when it says in verse 10 that he controlled himself, he only controlled himself because he was awaiting the opportune time to commit an atrocity, an assassination, or an execution against Mordecai. That's what he wanted. He wanted a greater evil to occur. Verse 11, Then Haman recounted to them the glory of his riches and the number of his sons 
and every instance where the king had magnified him, and how he had promoted him above the princes and servants of the king. He's the number two man. He recounts to them all of his wealth. He recounts to them the number of his sons. We know later that he had ten sons. He had ten sons, and he rejoiced in that. He's thinking, I have the favor of the gods. I'm a great man. I have many children. In in fact, I have ten sons. And every instance where the king had magnified him and how he had promoted him above the princes and servants of the king. See how swell of a man I am? How great of a man I am? The king exalted me. I'm a great person. He's got a lot of pride and arrogance puffing up. Verse 12, it continues. Haman also said, he also said, even Esther the queen, even Esther the queen, he not only has the king's favor, but he thinks he has the queen's favor. Even Esther the queen, let no one but me come with the king to the banquet which she had prepared. And tomorrow also I am invited by her with the king. Look at this. I am such a great man. I even have the queen's favor for two consecutive banquets where the king and I are there alone with her. I'm an important person. I'm wonderful. Now, what's going on here? Proverbs 11, verse 2. Proverbs 11, verse 2. What he does not know is what the Bible declares happens to arrogant, proud, boastful people who put confidence in the flesh. Proverbs 11.2 says, When pride comes, then comes dishonor. But with the humble is wisdom. When pride comes, then comes dishonor. Pride precedes perdition. Pride precedes punishment. Dishonor will come when pride is unrepented. When there isn't repentance, eventually it's going to bring about condemnation. But with the, but with the humble is wisdom. It's wise to be humble, foolish to be proud. Proverbs 16, 18. 16, 18. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before stumbling. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before stumbling. We know that he makes a gallows in order to hang Mordecai on it. But what ends up happening? He ends up being the one. He ends up being the one who is destroyed, who is caused to stumble because of his haughty spirit. And this also is in Proverbs 26. Proverbs 26, 27 says... He who digs a pit will fall into it, and he who rolls a stone, it will come back on him. He who digs a pit, presumably for his enemy, he himself is going to fall into it. And he who rolls a stone over against his enemy, that stone is going to roll back and, and crush and smother him. And that what's, that's what's happening to Mordecai. He has set his pride up Put it high and lofty 
in his own mind and in the minds of his friends and wife and what he doesn't realize he needs to repent because what he wants to do to Mordecai is actually going to happen to him notice verse 13 what does he want to do even though he's got all of this he just boasted in all of his his glory Yet all of this does not satisfy me every time I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. This man is so insatiable. His ego is so big. He can't just revel in what all he just explained. He he will not revel. He will not be satisfied until he sees the death of Mordecai or some punishment happened to Mordecai. His friends and wife are about to tell him, ask for, his, ask for his head, ask for his life. This is how evil he is. So insatiable, such an egomaniac, that this one man who won't give him what he wants, he, he wants to get rid of him somehow. Verse 14. Then Zeresh, his wife, and all his friends said to him, Have a gallows fifty cubits high made, and in the morning ask the king to have Mordecai hanged on it. Then go joyfully with the king to the banquet. And the advice pleased him on, so he had the gallows made. That night, and between that time and the next day, he has this gallows made. He has this place where a a criminal could be executed. He could be hanged. Mordecai, he wants hanged. That's what they advise him. You might notice that in verse 10 it says, he called for his friends and his wife. And then in 14 it says, Zeresh, his wife, and all his friends said. Maybe it was his wife's idea and the friends agreed to it. Perhaps that's what happened. His evil wife married to an evil husband, gives evil advice to put an innocent man to death. And so a tall gallows, 75 feet high, 50 cubits is about 75 feet high. 75 feet high so that Mordecai could be on display for many, many people to see. See that this man was hanged Nobody else should do what Mordecai did to Haman. And then finally, he would be pacified. Finally, his, his wrath, his anger against Mordecai would be satisfied. Finally, he's got 100% devotion. Everybody who knows him, everybody associated with him, gives him glory, heaps praise on him, tells them he's the greatest man that they've ever met. That's what he wants. What he doesn't realize is that the scriptures teach that there is a God of justice. Obadiah, Obadiah 15, Obadiah 15 says, For the day of the Lord draws near on all the nations. As you have done, it will be done to you. Your dealings will return on your own head. The day of the Lord is the day of judgment. It draws near on all the nations. No nation is exempt. God will judge every nation. 
as you have done, it will be done to you. Your dealings will return on your own head. What he meted out will be meted out to him by God Almighty. Galatians says the same. Galatians 6-7. Galatians 6-7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. God will not be mocked. Don't let ourselves, Haman let himself, be deceived into thinking that all is well. There is no day of judgment. There will be no day of reckoning. That he is a great man. That he is perhaps a God himself who deserves worship from men. Now who is it specifically who will judge Haman and all the nations, all of us, one day that we should keep before us? Acts 17 explains. Acts 17 verse 30. The Apostle Paul is preaching in Athens to a crowd of unbelievers, Greeks and philosophers, both kinds, Epicureans and Stoics, one extreme to the other in philosophy and all the idolatry associated with their empty philosophy and religion. Acts 17.30, Paul says this to them, Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all everywhere should repent, because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. The certainty of the day of, of judgment is asserted here. God is now declaring to men that all everywhere should repent, whether they live in Athens or whether they live in Jerusalem, whether they live in Rome or any other part of the world. All nations will be held accountable before God. Whom has God appointed, according to verse 31? It says, He has fixed a day in which He will judge the wor world in righteousness. God will judge the world in righteousness. He's appointed a man. The man that God appointed is the one who was raised from the dead. And this is proof to all men. The fact that Jesus died and rose again is proof that God has appointed him to judge the whole world. That means that the Obadiah 15 and the Galatians 6, 7, these events will be executed by the great executioner, Jesus Christ himself. A day is coming when he will judge the world in righteousness. Haman, he built this gallows for Mordecai, we know later it's going to happen to him instead. But what's even greater than him being put on the gallows, executed on the gallows, is that this is signifying, it's just a symbol, an emblem of the future day of judgment. Haman is thrown, or, or will be thrown, into the lake of fire. He will be thrown into the lake of fire. And it's going to be Jesus himself, as Revelation 19, 11 says, in righteousness he judges and wages war. Jesus will wage war on that day of judgment and throw all who don't believe in him into the lake of fire. This is what caused Haman, Zeresh, his wife, 
and anyone else to have animosity towards the people of God, this is what they had. And this is what people have throughout history. And everyone who is against God and manifests that against the people of God, they will be punished. The gallows that they erect for us will actually be turned against them by Jesus himself. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. Amen.